Hello, dear, sweet, singular listener, and welcome to the show. Now, you may notice this is a different intro than usual. That's because I wanted to give you a quick heads up. You see, this week's very special episode was well recorded on the fly through special circumstances. We'll detail that as the episode goes on, but I wanted to give you the heads up that this week, it's going to sound a little different, but next week, we're going to continue on and return to the smooth, sexy baritone that you're used to every single Tuesday. So get ready, because we're going to talk about 90s WCW, which means we're going to talk about a lot of shit that makes zero sense. It's our shot at a beach-themed wrestling pay-per-view that never actually happens at the beach. It's bashing. Bash at the beach. At the beach. This week on Nothing Good. Well, hello, sir. Hello, Doc. How goes it, man? It goes well. So, here we are. We are sitting uh, on a a lovely uh, wooded uh, balcony, enjoying a couple of cigars. Yes. uh, In the middle of the night, with some lovely bourbon. Yes. This is welcome, first of all, dear singular listener. Yes. Uh, Now including Australia and Canada. Hello. So, good day, and hello there, eh? Peru, step your game up. Peru, you're not the only one now. Uh, but welcome to a very special edition of Nothing Good. We are live very to tape. Very live. Live to tape um, from a uh, seaside condo in Ocean City, Maryland. Yes. Uh, it has been a long day of mm-hmm. alcohol, sun, the beach, delicious food. Family time. Family time. The wives have gone to bed. The kids have gone to bed. Uh, now, uh, Mr. Brown and I are ready to record this episode uh, and have a good time and hopefully entertain you guys at the same time. Yeah, you know, a lot of shenanigans uh, went into doing this, so we hope that our singular listeners in four continents, by the way, yeah, which is hella awesome. It is. Thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, our, uh, our three, I don't know. I guess that's technically Canada's not its own continent. Excuse us. <laughs> Uh, enjoy what we're doing. So today, uh, you know, we're going to do things a little differently. Instead of needlessly uh, debating something uh, for 45 minutes and then going into the actual episode, uh, we're going to go into the actual episode and then needlessly debate things for 45 minutes. I think that's a good switch. Right? <laughs> I think so. Fantastic. Well, today's conversation uh, is very aptly titled uh, Bashing Bash at the Beach. At the beach. At the beach. Which we thought would be a greatly uh, uh, wonderful setting for uh, our conversation. Yeah, and and full disclosure, this is uh, Mr. Brown's idea, and I loved it. I thought it was a a fantastic concept. Um, Originally, uh, we were going to do this on the beach. Yes. Uh, There there, there was some shenanigans involved with all of that. Well, yeah, so first of all, dear listener, I don't know if you've ever wandered out into a beach at night, but (laughs) you're not really prepared for the level of abject darkness that there is out there. It is so dark. So we got settled out there, getting ready to record this uh, uh, podcast, which recording a podcast uh, in the middle of the night on the beach is uh, just as tricky as you would think it would be. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 
only to find out that just as we were getting settled, um, apparently beach maintenance is a thing. And out of the darkness came these very tall, very slow moving, very bright lights that came one after another to find out that they're like um, these large all-terrain vehicles that literally comb the beach. Yeah, it was like one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it became to the point where, I mean, they, they were looking to come our way because we were definitely in the way. Uh, so we decided, and, and, and quite frankly, the, the breeze, the wind from the shoreline was making it really hard to light the cigars. For sure, for sure. So we, uh, we, we decided to call it and head back to the condo, which we can still see uh, the ocean from where yeah, we are. You guys can't hear it, unfortunately. Maybe I'll pipe it in. If, but lucky. It, if you it, don't hear it, I didn't. Yeah, but if you do, gonna I be, did. There's going to be some excellent ambiance noise in the background, but it is what it is. We make do with what we have. Yeah, and we're recording this in a different way, so if you notice an audio change from the last couple of episodes, by goodness. We're doing this via phone. We are doing this, uh, yes, because our phones are good enough to do this now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that Technology, interesting? Technology, huh? But here we are uh, at the beach. Um, so before we begin talking about what we're going to talk about, yeah. uh, as Doc alluded to, no, normally, as you are at this point, by the way, this is episode 10. How about that Episode shit? 10. It just seems like yesterday that we were like, should we actually do the podcast? And mm-hmm. now we're 10 episodes in. Which is, I mean, I'm having a good time. Are you having a good time doing this? Fucking kidding me? It's the best. <laughs> it's a good time. I'm it's really fantastic. enjoying this process and um, getting more comfortable in this role. You know, I, I, on our way here, uh, my wife and I listened to our first episode, or the, the second, the Children of Men episode. Yeah. And I was really like, because I know she hadn't listened to any of it, uh, and I wanted just to kind of hear it. Uh and really feel it because I listened to it a little oh, before on it was some earbuds, but I wanted to hear it in a car, hear what it really sounded like loud, yeah, and and actually get my wife's opinion. And she was laughing, chuckling, but she thinks that uh, Mr. Brown here is one of the funniest people she's ever met. Oh, that's she nice. thinks I'm okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm listening to it, and I'm critiquing myself and what I'm saying, and I'm you know, I pride myself on being a talker and what I need to be. And I, I wanted this podcast to be a very conversational tone. And I think we've hit that. I 100% sure. agree. Uh, uh, so I was really pleased with that. But I mean, obviously, there's room to grow and be more uh, aware of what you're saying and how you say it, I think, is yeah. the best way to word it. Well, yeah, we do babble. Yeah. I think that goes without saying. But then again, too, uh, anyone who actually knows us know that we are babbling all day, every day. and then Every day. Every day. And then just... Sometimes, accidentally, we make a point. Yes. Right? <laughs> so here we are. Uh, but as, as is tradition, dear listener, you know that we, before we get cracking, we tell you what exactly it is we're drinking uh, so you can kind of set the tone. But today is a little bit different because we're, like we uh, alluded to, we're on vacation. Uh, we work hard in our respective jobs, quote unquote. So we decided instead of just drinking a beer, we're going to do it up. Yeah. So we are drinking two different things, and we are smoking cigars. So the cigars we are smoking, not in the world's most expensive, but they're still good. Uh, they're the Fuente Anniversary Edition, the A58s, uh, which I I enjoy. They're mellow compared to mm-hmm. some of the heavier Titans that we've had. I've had some stronger cigars in my day, so yeah. I'm really enjoying this. Yeah, this was a more passive one. We got some. We chose between that and the SLR Titan, like, which I like. I don't smoke cigars often. Uh, like uh, it, it truly is like if I even do it once a year, maybe it's usually once every couple of years. It's just like yeah. an event, or if I come across a cigar that I happen to get my hands on, I'll just find a time that's you know puff away at one. But problem is, 
I almost always end up getting lightheaded That's and nauseous. Yeah. I'm just a lightweight when don't it comes inhale. to cigars. Well, I don't. It's yeah. just, I just, over time. That's fine. You know? That's why it's supposed to be relaxing, you know, yeah. and... That's the general Because I, I will just keep going until it's gone. Well, and I think that's the problem. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the fun part of it as well. Um, I, uh, I also smoke cigars very seldomly. Case in point that I bought my first humidor for this journey to transport the cigars. You're a grown uh, man now. Yeah, for sure. So there's that. Uh, in addition, we're also drinking... Uh, yeah, we're drinking some bourbon, man. Some straight bourbon. Uh, specifically uh, G&W, uh, the private stock, five years aged. It is very good. I, I'm really enjoying it. I've only had a couple of sips so far, and I'm I'm a fan of bourbon, but I'm not a bourbon expert by any means. Not, neither of us will pretend to be, no. But I do really enjoy bourbon. I like, every time I go to the store, I try to find a different one. One of the best ones I've ever had, Yeah. and I, I can't find it anymore, and this has been years since I've had it. I don't think I've ever heard of it. Hudson Baby Bourbon. You've mentioned that, but I've never—I don't think I've ever directly it was this, tried it. It's one of the best bourbons I've ever had. I only had one, had it once. I bought a bottle, and I don't drink a lot, so it took months to get through it. And then I went back to the store. One there hasn't been there since. Mm. And we're talking like three, easily three, four years ago now. A chance encounter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Never to be story again. life. But in addition, just because sometimes uh, smoking a cigar and drinking straight bourbon can uh, dry your mouth out, we decided that just in the event that we wanted to wet it down, we are also drinking a beer. Yeah. And we went with an oldie but a goodie, the Raging Bitch Belgian IPA from Flying Dog. Which is also quite tasty. And it's super tasty. It's 8.2. It's pretty good. It doesn't, doesn't need to be a heavy hitter because we're drinking bourbon with yeah. it. But the flavor helps uh, counteracting. So, of cigars. Here we are. Here we are. Ready to talk about World Championship Wrestling. We, I'm very excited about this because. Why? For multiple reasons. Okay. But the biggest reason is, is that when we, our only other wrestling episode, therefore, was a two-parter. And it was the Montreal Screwjob, which mm -hmm. we talked so long about wrestling from <laughs> 96 to 97. And we didn't really touch on wrestling before then. And we, we only sprinkled wrestling afterward. Right. Uh, and that takes place in the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. But you cannot talk about nostalgic quintessential wrestling without talking about WCW and the problems and the rare positive that came with it. Um, and this is an instance, uh, because you know, when I was thinking about wrestling topics for us to talk about, we could get completely granular the way we did with Montreal. Yeah. Or Hart and Austin, or any of those great oh, moments. Because we're going to get into Hart and Austin. Oh, we're going to do that, and too. And I'm looking so forward to that episode. But I wanted to find a way to do something broad strokes without taking up six episodes on it. Right. So here we are at WCW. And what better way to encapsulate a WCW story than by talking about one pay-per-view mm -hmm. that happened aptly named Bash at the Beach. Yes, yes. And um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of matches here, more than a couple of matches, a few matches. Uh, Steve Austin, stunning Steve Austin versus Ricky Steamboat for the United States title. Yes. Uh, uh, there are essentially, uh, not only are we at the beach, but apparently there's a major, uh, a bunch of tools in their cars and motorcycles that go up in the middle Folks, of the night. Folks, we're doing it live. We're doing it live and we're going <laughs> to, we're not in the, in the comfort of our studio uh, right now. But regardless, uh, so WCW, there's three pay-per-views that we're going to touch upon here uh, in particular. And we're going to use that to tell the story of WCW Bash at the Beach and our gripes. 1994, which was the first Bash at the Beach, which was surprised us to find out. 
Yeah, um, how about that? The 1996, which was the most important Bash at the Beach, and by far one of the biggest moments in wrestling history. Mm-hmm. And then the final Bash at the Beach, Bash at the Beach 2000, which kind of helped kill WCW in general. Man. In so many ways. So, let's get into it. So, we're talking Steve Austin, we're talking talking Ricky Steamboat. And I went back, watched this match, like so it was the United States title. Uh, I don't remember. From nineteen ninety four. I'm sorry, yeah, that's important. Nineteen ninety freaking four. We're talking pre Stone Cold. And we're talking post like one of the best in the world, Ricky Steamboat. See, yes, to jump in here on this one, before we before we set up this match, let's just go real fast. Okay. So Bash at the Beach, I, we were both under the impression that it happened before 1994, but really, WCW ran a series of events called Beach Blast Right. that were actual events that happened on an actual beach. They set up rings at the actual beach and, and had outdoor <laughs> shows at the beach. That is like so like Turner Broadcasting. It is it is so WCW, right? Yeah. Like that. I mean, they ran shows out of a parking lot and made it look yeah true like an arena. So I mean, kudos to them for that thing. Vince did it too with WrestleMania Nine, but uh, but I, yeah. So I was under the impression that those were bashes at the beach, just because I didn't watch WCW much at that time. No, no, no. Uh, neither did I. But the first bash at the beach was 1994, and the reason why it became moved from a beach blast on the beach to a actual beach-themed event in an arena was because WCW in 1994 signed a man by the name of Hulk Hogan. Oh man, that's <laughs> and truth be told, it was a big fucking deal. It doesn't get bigger than Hulk Hogan signing. No. And it was a big fucking deal. And so Hulk Hogan signed with, signs with WCW, and uh, they decide to pull out all the stops for a July pay-per-view. They're calling it Bash at the Beach. And the main event, which we will talk about in a minute, was going to be the first ever on-pay-per-view match between Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair mm-hmm. for the WCW Championship, which talk- is the match that they would have thought we, we would have thought would have happened for Vince two years before. But talk about a dream match. Mm-hmm. One of, one of the dream match. At I mean, that time, it was the dream match. I mean, when period. I was a little kid, again, much like yourself, I, I watched some WCW, mm-hmm. but I was a WWF kid. Of course. Um, and that, that could really have, have to do with being, you know, raised in the East, honestly. I, I think that's a big factor. Oh, for sure. Um, Northeast. I do know who Ric Flair... I mean, obviously, I watched Ric Flair in 92 when he came to the WWF. I already knew who he was. I knew who he was technically prior to that. But I definitely wasn't watching WCW no. uh, really before that. But I had access to, like, wrestling magazines. And so I knew who Ric Flair really was. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't privy to a lot of his great matches, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, yeah. We, we all knew who Ric Flair was. And in 92, uh, 91, 92, he becomes a, a fantastic part of the WWF, right? And For a it, very short amount of time. And it runs parallel to Hogan, but they never really truly interact to any kind of great value. So WCW is going to get the jump on it in right. 94. Bash at the Beach, and they're going to build this whole pay-per-view around that. But why we, we're going to start with Steamboat in Austin is because, for two reasons. One, this was, for a lot of people who only really watched WWF, this was going to be their first exposure to WCW. And so WCW decided to kind of pull out all the stops with their card. And in our Montreal, or previous wrestling episodes, we had mentioned that, God, if you could have only seen Steve Austin work before the neck injury. Mm. Well, on this night in 1994, Steve Austin, who would eventually become Stone Cold, goes one-on-one with one of the greatest wrestlers of his generation, yes. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, 
for the United States title, the secondary championship in WCW. Yeah, and Ricky Steamboat's not just some guy. I mean, yeah, he's always one of the greats, but this is a dude who would go 60-minute broadways with Ric Flair multiple times a month, multiple times a week. Yes. He traveled all around the country wrestling 60 minutes a night in matches that people would cry over. Because people still laud over to this day. Yeah, he was he was that good. I mean, we all everybody and their mom knows about WrestleMania three, Steamboat and Savage. Mm-hmm. Now remove Savage, put Flair in there, and both of them in their prime. Yeah, and they would put on clinics. That's just what they did. It was some of the best wrestling you ever seen. Mm-hmm. And now, in '94, Steamboat is at the end of his career. Yes, uh, quite literally. Yeah, like quite literally at the end of his career. And is in the chance to elevate uh, this would-be Stone Cold Steve, uh, this would-be Steve Austin, yeah. who nobody had any idea would become what he would become. Become a bigger star than Hulk Hogan. Yeah. I said it. I said it, I'm putting it out there. And it's absolutely true, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And, and bring about an even larger, more influential era of wrestling. But at this point, in '94 WCW, they're just wrestling, and so that's one of the matches we wanted to talk about because we talked about Austin. Yeah. So, what were your thoughts of the match? It was incredible. <laughs> but for a com- but a completely different match than I expected them to have, um, because at this point Austin is still in this. I mean, WCW had a distinctly Southern vibe. To yes, it. you cannot de- deny that, right? Yes. Uh, and in that WCW, formerly NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions, and all the other territories that they absorbed—Texas, Memphis, to a certain extent, right? Uh, there was a southern heel style of worker, which was very bump and feed, super animated, super, like, loved chicken shit, heel his way out of things, in and out, get cheap heat, and then feed the baby face for a super comeback. You're right. And Austin was the blueprint of this. Almost like, as if somebody's like, be the best you can be at that, but don't be Ric Flair. That was Steve Austin in this match. Steve Austin. The one thing I remember about this match that really stood out to me, amongst a bunch of things, but more the, the biggest thing I noticed was that Steamboat, who didn't have to, like you said it, like he put him over, <laughs> but he made Austin look like a million bucks like, the whole match. Like $2 million. He sold for him. He made Austin look like he was credible. Because when, he was. When Austin went on the attack, which was a, a, a larger portion of this match than I mm-hmm. would have thought, yeah. uh, Steamboat sold. And, he, I, you know, I know it goes without saying for great wrestlers and great technical wrestlers, but I, I forgot how good Steamboat was at selling. He makes you feel bad for him. Yes, that Ricky Morton-style baby mm-hmm. face. That mm-hmm. uh, when he would take a, back, a simple suplex, a back bump, he would throw his hand in his back and arch his back and look to someone in the front row and reach his hand out and say, help me. Mm-hmm. He's killing me. But with his eyes. And yes. That's, that's, yes. That's what made him an all-time great, and they absolutely did that in and, this match. And you could tell that Steamboat came from that era, right? He knew how to make the heel look like the heel was murdering him in the and, ring. Because they needed to. Because in, in the pre, because you got to think about this. Steve Austin is not from really a pre-TV time. No. Steamboat, most of the matches he worked were never televised. Mm-hmm. Worse than three. And it's three, a tragedy. There's a lot of wrestlers yes. that I wish had the luxury of having like just a camera set up. Just one. Every so we can watch televised, like our modern wrestlers do, even the wrestlers in the we're 90s. We're spoiled in a lot of ways. Oh my God, so spoiled. But Steamboat, most of his wrestlers' matches weren't televised, so he had to literally reach out 
to the people in the crowd and make them feel what he wanted to because he didn't have the benefit of a close-up. Mm-hmm. So, and but it translated so well. Let me let me. Uh, we're gonna start the first of many opportunities to complain about Hulk Hogan here today. But imagine in a pure wrestling vacuum uh-huh. that you have your world title and just underneath it is your secondary championship, the United States Championship. And here you know what we know, spoiler alert, for what happens at the end of this night. And Hulk Hogan, your top babyface now, is crowned the World Heavyweight Champion. And here is an up-and-coming, running-and-gunning heel that's the secondary guy. Wouldn't you think that you're in line to see that guy face Hulk Hogan? And let me put this in very succinct terms. And if you were just looking at this on paper, you're going to say, oh, one day. Steve Austin is going to fight Hulk Hogan as the chicken shit healed Hulk Hogan super babyface. How different would history have reflected on that? First of all, we never got that match. No. But if we had gotten that to match. To the surprise of no one. Yeah. Well, I mean, but at that point, you're like, it's inevitable, right? But, but <laughs> shit would go real weird for Steve Austin after yeah. about this. Maybe because Hulk Hogan was in there. And maybe because there was only so many top heels that could work with Hogan. And you're young up-and-coming uh, heel who was in great shape super good looking compared to the balding Hulk Hogan Maybe- and, and, and uh, not to cut you off but kind of to what you're saying no offense to Hulk Hogan in this regard but he, he didn't look great physically he no. had lost so much muscle mass so much weight compared now obviously we can compare him to the 80s Hulk Hogan that's a different animal that's a whole different but thing. like Hollywood Hulk Hogan he had jacked himself up a lot more, got a lot more shredded. I think... Well, we all know it's a steroid deal. Well, yeah, and I think we got to... I don't... Can we make a, a deal not to beat around the bush on this? Like, that's not... We're not... Hulk Hogan is not going to be uh, listening to this podcast. <laughs> and I don't think he's going to have us uh, uh, held for liable. He even admitted in his book to using steroids, oh, right? we, oh, we, Well, no, I'm not saying that he no, wasn't. No, but... He was off the juice. I mean, yeah, for sure. This is this is '94. It's coming off. Vince McMahon is in the middle of a steroid trial at this point in time, where he is under federal indictment and being held, uh, prosecuted by the federal government for intent to distribute steroids to his wrestlers. And uh, the biggest wrestler that they thought they had an ace in the hole in their key witness was Hulk Hogan. Uh, everybody, who is anybody cut that shit out because they knew that any moment in time if they worked for Vince then they could be tested and that would be against Vince and they'd never work again right uh, and if they didn't work for Vince as Hogan would eventually leave and not work for Vince um, they, they were going to be on the stand and they couldn't look like they had 24 inch pythons <laughs> flat out so Hogan cut the shit he cut the gas out and found himself looking much slimmer much slimmer. much slimmer like to the point where uh, like, like Hogan looked like us for a certain point. He, yeah. looked, he looked older. He did. He looked thinner and older, and his hair had gotten even longer, but it was in his neck and his jawline, right? He didn't look have that imposing look, yeah. but he was still Hulk Hogan. Right. I, I love how, like, even, like, the commentators, and they, they have a job to do to put people over, but they just kind of put it, like, oh, he's in his conditioning. He's, he's, he's in great shape. Look at him now. I remember sitting there, and we're, we're way ahead now, but I'm sitting there thinking to myself, no. No, he looks awful, actually. No, no. Uh, so, so we'll just we'll just we'll put a pin in that. Uh, the well, the steamboat, Austin thing. Let's just round it up. Austin goes over. Yeah, it looks like a million dollars. But here's what I really wanted to bring up about this match. Yeah. All right. That steamboat's not his last match. He only he wrestled I think four more days. Four more days after that pay per view. Yeah. 
and then he retired because of a back injury he suffered in that match. Yeah. Here's the thing. I tried finding out what spot, what move is what did it, but I can tell a complete, I'm sure you noticed, a mm-hmm. difference between the beginning of the match of Steamboat, how fast he was moving, he was selling, yeah. and the end of the match. It looked, he was not moving no, as quick. And, and uh, for, having seen it firsthand in a lot of ways, it's not the bump that gets you sometimes. Uh, he shot uh, when he, Awesome was on the reel. Okay. And he was he was shining so up. So you know what it is. And I don't know for sure, but okay. I I I I keeping an eye out for it, knowing that this was his last major match. Right. Uh, he Austin dips out of the ring and Steve chases him in the match. And at that moment, Steve Bo pivots right, and he's he springs out of that ring. And when he pivots to go to Austin, he's not springing anymore. He's walking deliberately to Austin. And that's that old guy. And here's the thing, too. That old worker mentality. Work hurt and finish the match. Mm-hmm. But also, these guys were so big and so muscular that it might have taken their bodies an extra couple of seconds to realize. So it could have been before he got out of the ring, and it just took his body when he moved and shifted a second. He's like, oh, I'm fucked. See, I right? always read that Austin had ended his career, like had injured him. That's what I read. I don't know if that's true. I always true. thought that was the, the point, too. But watching that match, there was, it, it, it didn't look like any... Minus the stun gun. I mean, it didn't look like anything. There was a couple back, back yeah. drops. Yeah. Not, you know, there was a couple back suplexes, rather. But that no, might have done it. But nothing that looked... I was looking for, like, a, a backbreaker or something. You know, I was looking for something that would... I think we're conditioned. Because Austin got hurt. Man, did he get hurt. Three years later, on a move that you could clearly see hurt him. Oh, yeah. And it was clearly the thing that did it. Right. But here is... Steve-O taking flat back bumps from a, a black suplex Austin giving it to him and something just went wrong yeah. and so if it was in those moves if it's just in a movement and something popped yeah. if it was something that Steamboat maybe hurt conditioning and then aggravated badly in the match uh, if Steamboat has come out and say dear listener you know what I'm going to pinpoint uh, if our listener from New South Wales Australia will directly message us at nothinggoodpodcast.gmail.com and tell us what Steamboat says about it. Other than that, I'm not really interested in speculation, but this was Steamboat's last major match. Yeah, and that's a hell of a thing. That's a hell of a thing. Ricky's the Dragon Steamboat, uh, and he wouldn't wrestle on pay-per-view again until he wrestled Chris Jericho yep. at WrestleMania. Yep. And stole the fucking show. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's something. Uh, and, and uh, you know, like, to put a pin in it, but uh, that match, the best match of all the matches we're going to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, by a, by a, a mile. A country mile, because yeah. we're talking about WCW, yeah. you got to use this. Um, he got a bicycle. But I really did enjoy watching Steve Austin run around like a madman, bumping his ass off, being a chicken shit heel. And you could tell Austin fucking loved what he was doing in a position. And, and at that moment in time, the world was aces for Steve Austin. He was on the pay-per-view mm-hmm. that Hulk Hogan... It was going to be the highest buy rate for WCW pay-per-view in history. He was going to be crowned the secondary guy, beat one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, and be in an absolute direct line to work with the top guys. Austin, uh, Hogan, Sting, uh, you know, a year later, Savage would be in the company, etc., and he would be in a great position for this stuff. But, you know, uh, spoiler alert, because this is one of the last times we talk about Austin, the yeah. show. Yeah. Um, a neck injury, less than a year later, would uh, effectively end Steve Austin's WCW run. I thought it was a knee injury. I thought it was a neck injury. It was an injury. It was an injury. Yeah. It was a knee injury. It was, it was an injury to a body part. <laughs> to a body part, and then he gets fired over FedEx. And I... That's very WCW. And you know what's nice? Very Bischoff. Yeah. And I really dug, I'm sure you noticed it, 
Uh, so we're talking Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, we're talking Stunning Steve Austin, and there's something that, uh, not to borrow too much from other podcasts, but listen, what Jim Ross says is gospel to me in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. especially when he talks about Austin, because yeah. that's his man. Yeah. And he, uh, he mentioned Excuse me. recently uh, how the one thing he always appreciated and respected about Steve Austin is that Steve was always all business. He always wanted to maximize his minutes no matter what he was doing. Mm-hmm. If you gave him a spot as a commentary uh, per a segment during a match, he will put himself over. He will put over whatever he's put over. He will he will maximize his minutes. And I'm sure you noticed uh, on the back of his tights, it's a dragon slayer. Yeah. And that is such a genius move. It, oh. And it, was, it wasn't fancy. It wasn't airbrush. It was just plain white print on black tights, Dragon Slayer. And I'm like, that is fucking cool. That is a nice touch. Maximize your guy, minutes. You know, who learned from Rick Rude to know that you're going to be on pay-per-view and get special gear made for it that absolutely goes against, goes with your feud. Yeah. So, that leads us, though, to the main event of that night. Now, it, it, the main event match two of what we're talking about here mm-hmm. uh, is Hulk Hogan's de- WCW debut. Obligatory uh, eye roll. And the first time here, that motherfucker. Okay? That's his first match yeah. in WCW. Yeah, first match his in WCW. His fucking first is match. He's wrestling Ric Flair for the WCW Championship. Uh, Mr. T? Mr. T was there. And I, have, I have a little side clip about that, but yeah. go on, yeah. Mr. T in his fucking nightcap. Right? <sighs> he's like, like, I just got up. I'm taking a nap. He he looked, dear listener, singular listener, he looks like he fucking wore, the cap he wore looked like that it was like from a a stereotypical nightgown. (laughs) From a cartoon. (laughs) Like Ebenezer Scrooge style. But they're going, and Hogan's first match after getting a fucking parade through Disney for being in WCW uh, is going to be to wrestle Ric Flair, the all time greatest world heavyweight champion of any promotion ever. So he's, so, uh, noticeably after all that bullshit we're just gonna catch it Hogan is much slimmer as we mentioned earlier because of the steroids but this is how fucking good Bobby Heenan is at this it wasn't Shivani picked up on it and fed it to him noticing that Hogan is slimmer than any other time we would recognize Hogan but Bobby Heenan is the one who's the heel commentator here in this match and he says he's doing it because of conditioning because he knows Flair can go 60 minutes yeah. and Flair can wrestle and go for so long so Hogan slim down because if this match needs to go an hour two hours Hogan is ready and that's I loved at that point this is for a few times I'll have a good comment when, when Heenan was the quintessential is to me the all time greatest heel commentator in history and is one of the all time greatest talkers ever Yeah. but whenever he decided to shine up the baby face he always he would. He did. Undisputably. In my dude. notes, I definitely wrote that Bobby Heenan is the greatest heel commentator of all time. Because within, if you look, go back to the beginning of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Within the first three, two to three minutes. Well, the, the pay-per-view opens up with a solid six minutes, which is weird, by the way, of them recapping everything that's ever happened to WCW. Poorly, by the way. Let yeah. me let me tell you something, and this is going to carry over to 2000. Mm-hmm. All right, because WCW couldn't for some strange reason, never figured out how to make video packages. No. Ever. It's like they didn't really care to do it. No. It, it blew my mind because by 1990, by 2000, WWF was just crushing. I Everything. Mean, absolutely crushing the presentation and the, just the video packages. The beginning of the pay-per-view was fucking weird, man. Yeah, dude. Oh, no, it was, it was very strange. Pseudo, 
and, and WCW was like they it's like someone's like here make me this and they very poorly it's I like that here yeah, make me this make me this and then they very poorly did it it's almost like they're it, and I don't mean to take any shots and any listeners who might have in the south who rely on things like Walmart for their day to day thing but WCW's production was like the great value version of actual production. Hey, give me. Hey, can I have some great video production? And we have great video production at home. Yes, yes. Great <laughs> video production at home. WCW presents Bash at the Beach. Yes. And it's exactly. It, it was very fucking strange. But yeah. Heenan nails the idea that Hogan's slimmer and kayfabes it to the point that Hogan's worried about conditioning. Mm-hmm. Okay. The positives of this match. It was a big fight feel. It had a huge Dude, fight Mike, feel. Was Michael Buffer was there. He was. Uh, which was a staple of WCW. Which, would, would, this was the start of that. Was that his first time? That, that was his first time doing... Bullshit, no, really? That was, yeah. Okay. He I did uh, He did a Nitro match. Maybe before that or immediately after. There was this. no Nitro, but then, 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 then it was Nitro was 95, so this, yep. was, this was the first. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, it was a big fight feel. Uh, I mean... The pros, the positives, it's Rick fucking Flair and Hulk Hogan having a world heavyweight title match 1, in the main event of the, one of the bigger pay-per-views and in WCW. the crowd is into it. Dude, oh, the crowd's hot. super hot for it. How could they not be? Yeah, dude, and 1,000%, right? And you know who's in the front seat? Hmm. Did you notice who's in the front seat? Uh, there's a lot of people. Facing the hard camera? Which one? Linda. Yeah. And I'm like, look, I'm like, who the fuck is that? Is that Linda? It is Linda. Linda. And yeah. she was popping, man. She was all fired up for the match. Yeah, well, because she realized that her husband just got a fat... And now, here's here's something else, dear listener, that we're going to try not to get too grand. Linda Hogan, by the way. Yeah, I said Linda Hogan as okay. well, but yes, okay. Linda Hogan. Not Linda McMahon. Could you imagine? <laughs> I can oh. see. I can just see Vince doing his fucking BMF walk. Yeah. Just God angrily at her. God damn it, Linda. Linda. Uh, but... So just to basically for the for the eight people that would possibly listen to a wrestling podcast in 2021 who doesn't know, uh, WWF's contracts were structured where you had a certain amount of dates, but you actually had to work and show up and work a show to get paid. And you got if you're a Hulk Hogan, you got paid very very well, but you had to actually show up and work a show. And the only way you made money without doing anything was your merchandise sales, which for Hulk Hogan was also very good. Right. But by '94 they had dwindled down to nothing, almost practically. Nothing compared to what they were. But WCW was what we called guaranteed money. Guaranteed which means that money. just like the rest of us schmoes, Hogan got a check every week or every other week. For, for a an lot absurd of amount of money. Uh, but here's the thing. He's Hogan, probably making $20,000 a week. Easy. 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 Millions of dollars a year. So divide that by 52. Right? I figured that one out. Uh, he, but he didn't really have to work to do that. So that's guaranteed money. So no doubt Linda Hogan is super jazzed about this. Yeah. Ted Turner himself is paying Hulk Hogan to, mm. to, to just be Hulk Hogan. To just show up and be deal. Hulk Hogan. So that's the positives. And Hold on now. There's another positive to yeah, this. Yeah. Ric Flair's wrestling. Ric Flair. But here's the thing. And I guess this leads into the, pro, to, to the negatives. Because Ric Flair, Ric fucking Flair, and I've been... Luckily, lucky enough over the years to have been able to watch many of his classic matches yes. with some great professional wrestlers in the past. Uh, and Ric Flair, people, if if any of you have never seen old Ric Flair matches, just even from like the early 90s, man, uh, but in the 80s, the fucking 70s, but just like the 80s, like Flair hit a stride. 
Ric like, Flair. I mean, it's probably the greatest stride in history. Ric Flair. Ric fucking Flair is such a fucking amazing performer in the ring. The Ric Flair that a lot of people our age who didn't watch a lot of WCW or NWA, obviously, didn't get a chance to see that while it was happening. Mm-hmm. We saw that later on when we got, you know, we started t- buying tapes and DVDs and, and things like that. And we got to like see that. him in WWF do his thing, too. Not the but, same. But not the same way. And this is sort of my point, is that the Ric Flair in that match is not Ric Flair. Ric Flair in that match was... He had to dumb himself down. There's three Ric Flairs. Hulk Hogan. There's three Ric Flairs. Okay. There's the greatest of all time Ric Flair mode, where he decided that he's going to go out there and do something special. See the matches with Steamboat, the matches with uh, Terry Funk... Uh, so many of his matches with with, uh, with Sting. Right. Not all of them, which I'll get to in a second. Yeah, and a lot of the people where he's like, I'm going to make this guy. Right. And I'm going to make this territory, and I'm going to make this thing believable. The kind of player that had to go out there 300 days a year as the traveling NWA champion. When mm-hmm. he was on, he was on. Then there's flair number two, which is the flair that says, I'm going to go out there and give you a great match. But there's, I know that there's more on the horizon for this. There's something else after this flare, is what I want to call it. The after this flare. Okay, I like that. Um, and because the flare knows that I'm not going to give 1,000 of all that I got into this match because we have somewhere to go after this. And I need I need something else. I think that's why when Flair dropped the belt to Sting the first time at the Great American Bash in Baltimore, I think that's why the match was great, but it wasn't an all-time classic because Flair knew you had legs on this program still with Sting to begin with. I think you see that with um, with a lot of the guys Flair made. I think that the indicative version of that, the quintessential they're after this Flair, is Savage at WrestleMania 8. Like, here's a match that absolutely told a story. Mm-hmm. Not to get sidetracked. WrestleMania 8, that is two guys who know how to sell a body part, and he worked Savage's knee mm-hmm. to the point where a man whose finishing move is jumping off the top rope wins with a schoolboy, and as soon as Savage gets the fucking pin, he hops on one leg, yep. selling that knee all the way to the back. God damn, that's amazing. Because he's a pro. But Flair knew that they had to take that match to Europe and everywhere else that entire summer. So he left something in the tank for that. And then uh, he didn't give you that last chapter on the story the way he did with this with the steamboat shit. And then there was the third flare, which we didn't see tonight, but we would see a lot in WCW after this, which is the fuck it, pay me flare. He'd come out, maybe he wouldn't even be in gear. He'd flip over the top rope, take a bump on the apron, get thrown off the top rope, and then uh, he's he's in and out, and the horsemen jump a guy, and then they're off to the next week. The fuck it, pay me flare. But we got the middle flare here. And now we got a really great after this flare, but it was an after this flare. But we got a Hogan who didn't really care to fucking do shit with an after this flare, but still, was the match stellar? No. no. But what did it? Could you watch it all the way through? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I made the mistake. Really, not a mistake, but I wish I'd known pre- previous how good Steamboat and Austin would be. Yeah. Because after watching that, every other match, I had a hard time keeping my attention. So I watched the entire first Bash at the Beach. Mm. The entire thing. Mm. Which, by the way, opens up with a banger of Steven Regal and Johnny B. Bad. I fast-forwarded through that, but there's a match that I did watch that I really enjoyed. It's so good, I can't remember what it was. I blame the sun and the alcohol I've been I've been consuming in it and and, and been subjected to today. Dear listener, we've been drinking since we got to the beach at noon. And, uh, spent a, we spent all day in the sun. I am. Uh, then we had we paid. I'm I'm not trying to flex, but we paid two hundred fifty dollars for dinner. Yeah, it was um, delicious. It by was the way. amazing. Oh my god! 
shout out to uh, Liquid Assets. Yes, and uh, Ocean City. Visit them. They do not sponsor this podcast. No, but their food but we is have, amazing. We have been uh, consuming and, and hanging out all day, mm-hmm. so we can't remember that match. But but still, the, the show stacked, and it peaked at Steamboat uh, Austin. It was so good that when it came to the big match, it under-delivered to me. Because all Flair did was what, like you said, Flair does this thing where he's sort of like, he'll do like a couple bumps, he'll beg off a bunch. Mm-hmm. No, no! And Hogan will do his thing, he'll hulk up, he'll, he'll come in, no he, sell. Flair eye pokes him, then he'll, then, then he'll hulk up. You know, and honestly, the only thing that, and this is I've come to appreciate about Hulk Hogan. It's not Hulk Hogan's, his performance, in a sense, it never that has gets been. me fired up. It's the crowd reaction that gets me fired up from Hulk Hogan. That's what makes him a great worker. Let me tell you something to add into this, dear listener. Uh, we've both been lucky enough to be in the building when Hulk Hogan comes out. And does his thing. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you that though we have our own personal reservations about the way Hogan does business or what he's done in the 21st century, which we will cover, I promise you, on a separate podcast that will get into some deep shit. Which may be multiple, multiple episodes. Maybe. Probably yet another two-parter. We apologize in advance. Right. But uh, Hogan is in that elite list of people that when his music hits and he does his normal shtick, Though you've seen it a thousand times, you could hate the man. But when he does it, you find yourself screaming. It's what it does. When the glass shatters and Austin comes out. When the if you smell comes right. out for the rock. When Cena's music hits and mm-hmm. he does the, the five knuckle shuffle. Any of that, all that other shit. Hogan, when real American hits and when Hogan hulks up. Yeah. If you got a, a heart in your body that beats... You're up out of your chair and you're making noise. Yeah. And um, Hogan can do that. And that's that's intangible. That's that X factor that we talked about mm, wrestling. This is totally off topic. But before we get off of this pay-per-view, uh, I do want to mention I have like this little, little check I had in my head that I wanted to cash here. Uh, from like the opening match to like multiple matches in, I started going, because I kind of like skipped around on the pay-per-view before I got to the matches I wanted to watch. So I was curious about the card. Yeah. Man, yet again, WCW, compared to WWF, but WCW's, mm-hmm. like, the entrance music, fucking terrible. Awful shit. Like, Austin's, however, was pretty fucking dun, dun, badass, dun, 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 though. I, I was like, oh, shit. Austin's, to this day, I have, a, I have a playlist on Spotify where you can also listen to this podcast, and you probably are listening to this podcast, wrestling themes, and the stunning Steve Austin slash Hollywood Blonde music is fucking on there, because it is a... Slapper. Yeah, yeah, and it fit him. But anyway, the end of the, uh, of WCW Bash at the Beach '94 concludes with Hogan dropping the leg, and he is the WCW champion. And uh, he celebrates way too long. Of course, that's what Hogan does. But I think for a minute before we move on to our next segment, our next pinnacle moment of Bash at the Beach, we have to talk about the fallout of that from Bash at the Beach '94. Do you agree? Sure. So one of the major positives that we can say is now Hogan's in WCW and that inevitably leads to more talent coming into WCW good or bad yeah you get a lot of the ex people that Hogan used to work with Uh, Mean Gene was at the pay-per-view yeah Mean Gene that was Mean Gene's I think his debut show probably was Uh, but you get I mean uh, uh, Heenan had come in before this came back with Flair 
right? Mm -hmm. But you eventually start to see people filing back in. Uh, and this leads to having enough star power to create WCW Nitro, which goes head-to-head -to -head with WWF and Monday Night Raw, mm -hmm. and it creates the Monday Night Wars. Yeah. And that is a direct fallout of Batch at the Beach 94, with Hogan being signed. And you would see Savage come in, and now you hear... But there's a, there's a particular statistic I want to point to you here before we get to where we're going. Okay, I'm all about the statistics. I, our next bullet point to talk about here, folks, is Bash at the Beach 96. But before we get there, you're like, wow, that's two years later. What's going on there? Honestly, nothing important, nothing of note. Uh, we get Savage in, in between there. Nitro is created uh, sometime right around Bash at the Beach 95, right? Right. And it's all largely vehicular to the, new Monday, to the original Monday Night Wars. When Hogan debuted and dropped the leg at Madison Square Garden, didn't debut, but when he became the WWF champion in July, January of 1984 for WWF, yeah. he dropped the leg. It took until late 92, until 92 really with the Royal Rumble, but full on from 92 to 93 for them to, for the crowd to start turning on Hogan. Uh, it's a that's, pretty damn good run. That's eight to nine years, okay? Yeah. Eight to nine years from people to get tired of Hulkamania for it to be new and to be the biggest thing in the world and then it comes over and people are tired of it. Hogan debuts in July of 1994 and by July, uh, by October of 1995, which if you're keeping track is 15 months, they had started to boo Hulk Hogan Times out were changing, of the man. damn building. And Turner and WCW had paid a lot of fucking money for Hulk Hogan to sell t-shirts and drive up ratings and people were not biting on it. I mean he's been doing the same gimmick the same way the same style the same Hulk up the same finisher the same way for way too long and they made the best decision they could have. They did. Now before we get to that okay. the wrestling business at this point as we gear into 96 the summer 96 is changing. We talked about, and we finally get the call back to a previous episode, and I love talking about oh, this, right? That's weird that we can do that. Yes. In our previous episodes of wrestling, uh, the Montreal Screwjob, we touched on to the spring of 96. And at this point, you have uh, Steve Austin is now making his WWF debut. Mm -hmm. And two of the WWF's top stars have left and are leaving w, uh, the, the WWF, and they are going to WCW, that is Razor Ramon. Real name Scott Hall. Yeah, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Kevin Real, Nash. Kevin Nash. And they are leaving. They wrestled, both wrestled right around the area. Uh, Razor wasn't on WrestleMania 12. Nash was, right? Mm -hmm. And they're going to WCW. And they start a pseudo-invasion angle of WCW where they come up in street clothes, go by their real names, and it is highly and heavily implied that they are coming from WWF to invade WCW. Yeah. Which is a gamble for the president of WCW at that time, Eric Bischoff, to take, but it fucking works, and it gets the idea. And it works all, big time. And it all builds up to this idea that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash challenge WCW. Sting, Lex Luger, and say, Randy Savage. They challenge Bischoff and say, give me your three best. Right. And it'll be me and Kevin Nash and one other guy, a, a third man, a mystery third man. And we'll meet you head on at the pay-per-view. Give me WCW's best. And we're going to mop the floor with you. Which is a hell of an intriguing angle. It's excellently booked. Mm -hmm. um, so WCW gets Luger, Sting, and Savage to go against the team of Hall and Nash and this mystery guy. Well, here we are arrived at Bash at the Beach 96. And everyone in wrestling is wondering who 
the mystery man's going to be. Who's the third man? And the match starts, and the third man's not there. Nope. It's just the two heels uh, working against three baby faces. And what is one of the key mistakes about being infatuated with this that WCW makes? They let Hall and Nash run roughshod over Sting, Luger, and Savage. There is a theme for, like, the first year, like, solid, of the NWO, where... Pretty and 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 I man, I was deep into this. We all were. Uh, look, I was pro WCW, anti NWO. Yeah. Because I'm perpetually a damn baby face. Yeah. And, but it was hard at times because I had friends at school growing up who were all about the New World Order. Yeah. And it was hard to argue with them, the validity and the tenacity and the strength and the power and the ability of WCW because they're getting their asses whipped all every damn week every on time. Nitro. Like no matter what they did, they get spray painted. They were they, the, the 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 heels looked. They were cooler than the baby faces. They got over better than the baby faces. It was it was a shame, and that's to your point. I think, and they they started doing it. Now it worked because of that. But regardless, let's let's take a st- step back here. So yeah. Bash at the Beach '96. There's that match. This was for me. This is the first WCW pay per view that was ever ordered in my house. Mm, really? Because okay. my mom as we have mentioned in previous podcasts, has an absolute crush on Kevin Nash. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely does. Kevin, if you're still listening to this, I can't help but notice that since our last wrestling episode, you haven't called my mom. So uh, you can call her. But if you're not Kevin Nash, don't call my mom. Fuck you. What do you do? If he does. If he calls your mom. <laughs> I tell mom, you go to... See, what, what, what do wrestlers like to go? The Golden Corral, right? I don't know. They like to eat. I, I, so a mutual friend uh, of Kevin Nash's and I is Joe Dombrowski, uh, who has the infamous shoot, who was the one conducting the infamous shoot interview. I'm not, I don't mean to be name dropping here. I mean, he, uh, you just did. did uh, where Kevin Nash is eating the ravioli the whole time he's doing the shoot interview. Have you ever seen that one? No. No? Uh, that's Joe doing the interviewing where Nash eats like literally pounds of ravioli while he's talking to Joe. So I, I asked Joe, what does Nash like to do and where can my mom meet him at, you know? But <laughs> and if he does, great. Good for you, Mom. That's what I would say. You Chase know, those dreams. Mom, choose your shot. That's what I'm say. Okay? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, this was the first WCW paper we ordered and who turns out to be the third man? So, paint the picture throughout the match. Okay, and, and, well, hold on. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. The We're match itself, to, the match itself isn't a bad match at all. No, actually, it's got a tremendous amount of heat. Big fight feel. Again, tremendous amount of heat. Because this, you got to look at this through the lens of the audience member. Then this is before social media. This is before Twitter, Facebook, and all that. This is before oh, yeah. everybody and your mother having access to the internet. You basically have AOL. And not and, and definitely not everybody had that. No. Uh, so unless you were, you know, getting like. Pro Wrestling Illustrated or something like that or getting a, a, a magazine yeah. or, or dirt sheet uh, or you knew somebody which few people did no. you didn't know what the fuck was going to happen nobody here. did and I was one of those kids going well who's going to be who's it going to be who's it going to be yeah. because I did watch Nitro a little bit but I was I was a raw kid but once that angle started and it worked I was really curious I remember all of that build up I remember like talking to people at school, like, well, who you think it's gonna be? And their name dropped, like, oh, I think it's gonna be this guy, that people from the WWF, people from the. I'm like, I don't know who, but the last person you thought I could ever. So the match happens. Match is pretty good. Luger goes out Wait, early. Before you go, I'm so 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 sorry to interrupt you. You better one, be one yeah. of the most 
my absolute second favorite thing besides the review. Okay. Is you since we both have recently watched this match. Right. When Hall and Nash are introduced, there's no music. Yeah, there was. Did you did you watch it on the network? Yeah. Okay, I did not watch it on the network. I watched the original. Okay, because there's music now. Yeah. Okay, so I apologize. And, and it's a callback to what I said like, like forty minutes ago or half hour ago. With that shitty music. Just the beginning of the pay per view has shitty music. Yeah. With that weird like yeah. Miami Vice music. Yeah. That's that's the music. Not so. Thank you. you for that, by yes. the way. Not so sexy saxophone music. Yeah. yeah. That is the music they played out in, played out too. Is that shitty? Miami Vice music. It was so unnecessary. No, it, that's not my version of it because I still have uh, the. I didn't watch the VHS that I have of it, but I, I watched it on YouTube an original rip of it, which was a crappy quality. But I want to, and the outsiders come out to no music, which is cool. That's one cooler. of my favorite things. They come out and and just Hall's doing his little sway, and there's nothing, and people are just raining booze and shit down oh, on wait, it. Wait, before we get to that. Another callback to what I said earlier, and I want your opinion on it. Mm-hmm. Did, so, I'm assuming since you didn't watch that pay-per-view necessarily. I didn't watch the whole thing, no. That means you didn't watch the build-up video, the, the, the video package to this. No. Let me Shit. show you something. Oh, please do. Look, and maybe times are different, and allocating uh, resources to this sort of thing is different for WWE back then, even though I pretty sure even in 2000 it didn't make a fucking difference but I will tell you what it was like they played that music again Sexy that sexy shitty music. 80s music and they played clips of the build up no narration there was like weird like muted dialogue from the different promos like you want a war in the background there was but there was a text it was like not even it was telling a story but like on Nintendo 64 oh my god so it was like the intro to WCW and NBO Revenge yeah they might actually have the same I'm really upset that I didn't watch it you should watch it put it on the peacock listen put it on the peacock listen (laughs) put it on the peacock um, anybody here listening, if you don't have access to the Peacock in the WWE Network, please, fun, look, if you're a wrestling fan, you should have it. Or know somebody who does and get you access. It's amazing. Not we don't just, advocate stealing wrestling here, but uh, this pay-per-view is 25 goddamn years old. Yeah, at this point, is it doesn't matter. Uh, pretty sure. I'm doing the math right now. We've had a lot to drink today. I think it's 25 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... But yeah, the, the build-up, the video package was fucking atrocious. It was actually laughable. I'm sitting there watching this going, like, somebody made that and then took the copy, the cassette, <laughs> handed it over to somebody more important. Probably named, Bischoff. Named Eric Bischoff. He watched it and said, yeah, this is, this is good shit. This is the thing. Which is really fucking bothering me that you're saying this because to me, I, one of the greatest, produ- and WCW, I, I would never say that they have had some of the greatest producers segments in history of wrestling because they haven't. No. They have one. One continuing segment, which to me is one of my absolute favorite things that any wrestling organization ever done, and it was the NWO promos. Oh, they were amazing. Yeah, whether with the projector and the Bischoff in front of the podium, all that shit, that was so unbelievably incredible. That the company that produced this horseshit that you're talking about, and it yeah. produced the horseshit that we're talking shit. about, and it would produce the horseshit that would come later, 
produced those fucking pieces of gold. This is the beauty of, of, of WCW. And, and like and, and this isn't like I know we were bashing bash at the beach at the beach. And it, and we're not actually bashing much, uh, really yet. Um, just Hogan and WCW. And but like everything. but realistically, WCW is a really fascinating entity yeah. because they were so capable of creating such like you had to have watched it live moments on live television. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Live television, folks. Before WWF was doing live television. Yes, they were doing every other week. Yeah, um, they had such potential, and and Bischoff and company, Kevin Sullivan, whoever else was helping to book this stuff, had amazing vision and had these moments of just like this is fucking amazing, this is great, and then they would just sometimes put out some absolute bullshit as as the consumer, mm. as the wrestling fan. Don't. And I'd have to look back, even when I was a kid, some stuff you'd see and go, well, okay, WWF does it better. Here's the problem. This What's is the, problem? the same company that shared a building with CNN. Right. Okay? Yeah. They fucking, literally, you go down a couple of floors, and you're at CNN. And they couldn't fucking put a package together to save their goddamn lives. No, they really couldn't. No, they couldn't. It's right? amazing. Anyhow. But we have arrived here yes. at the entrance, and now we're in the match. It's Hall and Ash. The third man is missing uh, and against Luger, Sting, and Savage. And as you mentioned, Luger gets taken out early. All right, so Lex Luger, uh, he's tied up with, I think, with Scott Hall. And I can't remember which one it was, but Sting gives a stinger splash while Luger's tied up with that other guy in the corner. Luger's taken out. You know, He falls to the floor, yeah. and they, they take him on a stretcher, Stretch wheel him job. out. So now it's two on two. Um, and let me let me backtrack actually a little bit because I, I got a really cool like I thought it was really cool man like I haven't watched a lot of WCW <laughs> yeah. for you know I, I don't watch for, a lot of for old obvious wrestling. reasons I do watch a lot of old wrestling but I don't watch a lot, a lot of old WCW mm-hmm. um, and watching the entrance of uh, uh, Luger Sting and Savage brought some feels back to me watching yeah. Macho specifically Macho I love the Macho he, man. Dude, I have such an... I always had an appreciation of... He's, as a kid, he was one of my favorites, period. Yeah. Uh, he still really is one of my favorites. But, like, he is such a, a character. That whole entrance, and he's, like, all over the place. He's, he's being macho the whole Randy time. Savage is the epitome of a consummate professional who is into his shit every second that you saw him. From the minute you saw the Macho Man Randy Savage, from the day he debuted to the last moment... You knew who the fuck you were watching. Yeah. And you felt it. You absolutely felt it every second of the night. Macho Man is one of those characters, one of those wrestlers who, like, like, okay, with, like, Undertaker, for example. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, a really good example. Undertaker, Mm -hmm. the dead man, like, you had no idea who that dude was. No. Right? Until you started seeing the biker a little bit more, and things started evolving and changing. You started seeing more shades of who he was as Mark, right? But Randy Savage never broke that. Yeah. Randy was, had been around for such a long time, but he was always this intense dude. From the moment that that music hit, he was Macho Man. He was mm. he was just, you know, fingers in the air. Are we going to do it? What? Are we going to do our Savage impersonation? Oh, yeah! Cream of the crop. There we go. Cup of coffee in the big time yeah. Ooh, yeah. macho man Randy Savage you know cut little champion of the world yeah yeah I mean so macho good. dude we could do that all day I've, literally macho man 
I mean, really, just watching his, just specifically the entrance, mm -hmm. brought me back mm -hmm. and made me just remember how much I loved that character and how good he was. Savage was so, so good, dude. Anyhow, so the match is now two on two. Uh, the match, while it was good, nothing to call home about, but it was a good match. It was great. It was yeah. hard hitting. It was solid. But because it's the first time Scott Hall worked as a heel. And in a long time, in like well, two three years. I was gonna say not long, but time, I mean, but a couple but of years. But he was doing the whole the whole Fed run as Razor Ramon. That was extremely influential in it. Yeah, yeah but it, I mean, it was, even it, as, but he did great. But even working as a heel, let's be honest, he didn't work much different. No, no, Realistically. He, he, he just cut the guy off instead of being the guy cut off. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, the match was solid. Nothing to really call home about, but it was good because there's four professionals who are very experienced, mm -hmm. know what they do well and what they don't do well. Uh, and they exceeded those expectations. Enter the third man. Would you like to take this? Yes. I know you would. So, there's a moment of complete disarray in the match when uh, Hall and Nash are just, are, are the heels have the upper hand, and the camera cuts to the entranceway, and who comes walking down the aisleway but one Hulk Hogan. And he's walking down... And and he's coming to, and the two of the three announcers, Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> I know the immortal Dusty Rhodes <laughs> and Tony Schiavone, oh, man. Uh, are putting over Hulk Hogan's here to right this wrong and save the day. Uh, and one of my favorite moments in the entirety of wrestling history, Bobby the Brain Heenan, decides <laughs> to go into fucking business for himself. 100% goes to business for himself. Uh, and he's like, yeah, but whose side is he on? God damn it, Bobby. Spoiling it. <laughs> So hard, but it matches the idea that throughout the entirety of Heenan's run in the WWE, yeah. which comes from AWA when he was previously feuding with Hogan, he never trusted Hogan. Exactly. Not a single drop. So it's on character for Bobby Heenan. It just didn't match, match just the larger narrative. Like a sore thumb oh my god! So hard. You're like, are you ruining it? He no, he's not. And then Hogan gets in and chases the heels off. And everyone's like, what's going on? And then he shoves Nick's pa Nick Patrick to the side and drops a big old nasty atomic leg drop right on Macho Man Randy Savage. Of course it's Savage. And the entire wrestling world literally shits a brick. You know, looking shits back... Shits a fucking brick. Uh, I, I, I saw that pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a child. And growing up a Hulkamaniac, like, pretty much most cry? kids did. Did I cry? Fuck no. I cried. I did not cry. I full on cried. But I was not happy. <laughs> I full on cried. I was pissed. Because you have, you have to think about the where I was. This was the first WCW pay-per-view I ever ordered. And, I, and the worst. And, and <laughs> I, I'd only seen one or two segments of Nitro before that. Mm. I missed the whole Hogan wearing black as a baby face. But yeah, that, really was baby face. that was a thing. Which we'll talk about some other time. But uh, to me... Growing up as a kid in the Hulkamania, even though uh, you know, Hulk, Hulk Hogan was the shit, right? Mm -hmm. um, Hulk Hogan was the red and yellow, and he was the quintessential good guy. And he was—I had the poster on the wall, uh, Suburban Commando, all of that, all that horse shit. And my only WCW interaction with Hogan was him as continuing the red and mm -hmm. yellow. Mm -hmm. And here he was. Not only did he turn bad, but he turned bad on Randy Savage. It's fitting. Yes, right, and uh, the 11-year-old me at that moment in time cried uh, because that's that's like, that's the example of your dad coming home with a hooker and like <laughs> just going to town on a right in the living room in front of everybody. You're like, oh, dad, what are you doing? 
It's like, you know you wanted this. It's like, no, Dad, no. <laughs> Tears down the eye. That's, a, that's an interesting way to put it. And yeah, it was watching the crowd. There were some people who, of course, cheered those, you know, the well, people I mean, who were smart. They were smart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 96, but just like, like they are today. The, the, the overwhelmingly, overwhelming majority of uh, the audience were just, like, shocked. Yeah. Because Hulk Hogan is the good guy. He fights for the rights of every man. Say your prayers, take your vitamins. Right. He, he was the guy who, no matter what, back against the wall, he will push back. And he will fight for you. And then, you know, he drops, like, at least three leg drops on Savage. At least. Maybe four. I think two. Uh, three. I think three. Yeah. At least two. Gets the three. It wasn't even three, because the, the no, referee was out. The, the, so, the one of the most influential matches in wrestling history ends in a no contest. Right. Because there is no finish, because who gives a shit about an actual winner when Hogan turned heel? And I think at that moment, whenever Hall and Ash slide in the ring, after uh, and they count the pin for Hogan covering Savage, right. and then there's that big, ridiculously gaudy handshake... And everyone thing, that's when the garbage came. Oh man, I'd never seen anything like that as a kid. That was and that was my first instance of, of people actually flooding the building yeah. with garbage. Which was not new in wrestling, but no. it was new for WCW. And, and new for a bunch of uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds yeah. who had not seen, who had only grown up on Hulk Hogan being the quintessential baby face, and no, nothing ever getting that hot. Then Gene Okerlund gets in, mm. and Hogan cuts a scathing heel promo and introduces the world to the New World Order, or, as he said it twice, New World Organization. Yeah, he he kind of fucked that up two separate times. Uh, Hogan was in a... It was working so much that he didn't know what he was going to say. It was but, a great promo. Yeah. He... And I love how he... Hall Nash said nothing. It was Hogan's moment to just really put over the idea that, fuck you guys. I mean... That organization up north. I made that organization up it. north. I love oh, it. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. No, and this will be... I think we need two whole minutes of us elating about this promo to, entire, to encapsulate the entirety of our positive Hulk Hogan rant. As I'll say again, the entirety of our, our positive Hulk Hogan rant. Because it's going to get weirder after this. But yeah. it was an amazing heel turn. It was an amazing heel turn promo. Oh my god, yeah. Uh, Hogan put on about a solid 40 pounds of muscle, at least, from the last time we saw him. Yes. To this thing. And he looked like Hulk Hogan. He looked much more like Hulk Hogan. He looked younger. He didn't. He didn't. And Hogan, re I mean, we all remember, you fans can stick it, brother. I yeah. love that he has a throw brother. These people can stick it, brother. Let me tell you, Mean Gene. But it wasn't the same... Let me tell you something, man. No, it was a it, it was venom. slower cadence to it, and it was incredible shit, dude. It was so good, it like and, and, and it just pissed people off even more. Why we picked this pay per view? Not just because we're at the beach bashing mm -hmm. bash at the beach, right? But because you can't get the negatives without talking about a positive or something. How you don't know how bad something is until you have good. They say with every great loss, you only feel that that negative emotion because you loved that positively the bash at the beach 96 run that's about as bad as it it's about as awesome rather as an as a segment can be mm -hmm. taking a perennial good guy in a hot angle and making it into what would be for years 83 weeks in a row 
mm. the hottest thing, not only in wrestling, but in pop culture. Yeah. I mean, the fact that NWO got involved with you know NBA players, Jay Leno, it was a big... The NWO was a big fucking deal. It was. And I was, I was ready for it. I hated the New World Order. Oh, yeah. I hated Hollywood and his chicken shit heel business. He never lost clean. It was always like the NWO would run in at the end of a uh, night oh, As soon as Hogan was in trouble, eight guys would show up. Let, so, let me... Uh, okay, so so the NWO was formed. It's coming out, and they begin to run rough shot. Mm-hmm. WCW. Let me tell you very briefly. The moment where I started... I was also with you. WCW. Perennial baby faces, right? Because mm-hmm. I also, at this exact same time, I also thought that uh, Bret Hart was irrevocably screwed out of the Iron Man match. Should have ended in a draw. Damn it. Should have gone into an overtime. I'll die right? on that hill. So I started to... I started, Bret Hart won that match. I started to get fucking principled real fast about wrestling. <laughs> Until uh, so you yeah, WCW, because Sting, St- and Sting started to go brunette and longer hair, and it looked good. And Macho Man Randy Savage, I don't care who the fuck you are, Macho Man Randy Savage is badass. Oh, yeah. And you stand on the side of the Macho King or the Macho Man, a mm-hmm. cup of coffee in the boot time. That's right. But uh, I have never, ever in my life liked Lex Luger. Ever. Uh, I liked, okay, look. Ever. You will find throughout the course of this podcast whenever Lex Luger comes up I will typically not have a lot of awesome things to say about him and here's the reason why Lex Luger <clears throat> amazing look and and oh, great body. unlike some other people uh, I, I can only give you my view as a fan mm-hmm. as a uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 plus year old mm-hmm. right and this isn't about like oh who how who he was backstage. I, I fucking don't know. I only know what people tell me, right? But as a fan, a real fan of wrestling, like just that was my shit. Uh, Lex Luger, no matter what iteration of him, whether it was the narcissist, just all never, American, yeah, all special package, total pack, never did it for me. Nope. Now, however. That is not to say that Luger was never fucking over, because that oh, dude, super dude, over. he was he was hot, uh, like ninety eight. Was it ninety eight or ninety seven? Oh, okay, so yeah, so he was hot a couple of times, but the time we're talking about is ninety seven and the ninety eight when he, when beat he Hogan? legit beat Hogan for the belt. Let me tell, I popped hard for I, that match. I did not. How could Be- you not? Because I was I I you could have put Tony Schiavone in tights. And had him go against Hogan, and I would have cheered for Tony Schiavone. But the minute that it was Lex Luger doing it, uh, because here's a common thread that's going to show up in our fucking podcast. Uh, I don't forget. And I don't forget the fact that in 1994, they tried to say that Lex Luger was better than Bret Hart. Ain't nobody. <coughs> oh, you mean the Royal Rumble? Fucking better than Bret Hart. Oh, there's no one. Yeah. And what? ain't nobody deserved that shit. And so I never forgot that shit. And so you're going to come in here, and I'm like, you know what? Fuck him. Yeah, WWF tried to push Lex over Brett, and the universe, God himself, said no. No. You will no. not put this man over Bret Hart because Bret Hart's, Bret Hart's the one. Yeah, fuck you, Lex Luger. Look, not, not even Mr. Perfect can add heat to you. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Look, let me tell you something. Look, fans, uh, if I can call you guys fans, uh, audience Singular members. Singular fan. Yeah, audience members. There are few wrestlers... In the history of the WWF, WWE, that they have strapped a that the fucking rocket ship, strapped the fucking the fucking turbines, strapped the fucking 
the everything to a, 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 one particular performer and sent them to the fucking moon, and it did not. It just did not work. It's it's only happened a couple of times, but the biggest, loudest example of it. My man slammed Yokozuna. <laughs> if that is not like a glowing like a, a, a approval rating, like we want you to be the world champion, we want you to be the face of the fucking company, slam Yokozuna. On a fucking naval carrier or whatever an aircraft carrier. But anyway, that was that was that was when I started to get on board on the heel because it's like a flex Luger's the guy I got to cheer for. Fuck it, I don't care. Okay. Have the have Mike Rotunda run down. Oh I don't my give God. a shit. Yeah, does not work for me. But that <laughs> starts the NWO Bash at the Beach '96, as mm-hmm. we are talking about Bash at the Beach pay per views. Right. Starts the revolution in wrestling to a certain extent. We've talked about that in our Montreal episode, but that gets WCW wins for 83 weeks. Right. Uh, only starts to secede it when Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, ironically, as this episode began, comes into play. So so that goes on. And we could spend hours talking about what happens after this. Right. Which I think we should save for a podcast called The Death of WCW. Oh, that would be excellent. Uh, which actually, I think, the big quintessential moment, one of them, it happens at Bash at the Beach 2000, uh, in which Hulk Hogan, who's a running theme throughout this whole thing, mm-hmm. does a worked shoot angle with Jeff Jarrett where he leaves with the WCW championship after, and then Vince Russo comes out and cuts a babyface promo, which nobody fucking believes. Which was definitely not a babyface promo. Because nobody in the world is a baby, believes that Vince Russo would ever do anything altruistically. Right. Right, And it's not a babyface. And then leaves, and, and, and that is one of the defining moments. But lo and behold... At the end of that pay-per-view, the very final bash at the Beach 2000, they crown the last positive we're going to really say about WCW. Booker T. Booker T was wins the world championship, and Booker T is one of the great underrated talents in the history of wrestling. Which is weird because he shouldn't be. He he shouldn't be, but he because when you when you think about the echelon of wrestling talent, he's huge and enormous and amazing, but you know just because of the nature of the beast. He, he's not really going to be at the at the, the top of the tower. Right. So we can say, I think, instead of saying that phrase we say way too much on the show, let's put a pin in it and continue <sighs> in a part two. Right, right. Let's actually say Bash at the Beach 2000 as okay. part of our very future Death of WCW podcast. And okay. let's let me ask you a couple, one actually specific point blank question. Okay. Bash at the Beach. When you think about pay-per-views or events in the in the wrestling lexicon, Starcade, WrestleMania, would you have previously, until we had this conversation, considered Bash at the Beach to be one of those important moments? One of those important standout events? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I did not realize so much happened. I did not realize that Hogan's debut was... The first Bash at the Beach until we started, we decided I, to do I the show. I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know it was the first Bash at the Beach, but yeah. I did know it was his, that's where he debuted. Uh, and, it, you know, there's a, there's something to be said about, you know, his first match was the heavyweight championship. But that's very Hulk Hogan. That's very Hulk Hogan. You know? And we will save that whinging for a future Hulk Hogan episode and for future Death of WCW episode. Man, it we could will. be a whole month. Who gives a shit? But I think at the end of the day, we can say that Bash at the Beach was distinctly WCW. Yes. Distinctly Equal parts bullshit and important. Yes. Uh, we'll do that thing if you if you watch just one thing this whole week. Steamboat in Austin. Hundred percent from '94. That's the thing to go. Hundred percent. Watch watch the, the whole show and and then immediately emotionally tune out after that match. Because you will. Because it does not matter. No. But uh, what does matter is you, singular dear listener, being here 
being here on Nothing Good With Us as we get uh, as we keep going. This was episode 10, Doc. Yeah, I'm glad we were doing this. I'm glad uh, that we got a nice little cadence going. Uh, we're getting some rhythm going. And I'm, going I'm, I'm really happy that uh, we're doing this. And I'm, I'm really hoping that the people who are listening, like I say, every single damn week, uh, broken record, but I hope you guys are enjoying what we're doing because we're enjoying it. And that's the most important part that's... right now, man. Like, just... Just vibe with us, have a good time, have some laughs, have a drink when you listen, maybe. And uh, and we appreciate you hanging out with us. Check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Um, coming up next, I just want to give you a little uh, quick preview. Our very next episode, the time they hear us next week, it's going to be us talking about one of the most influential video games of all time, Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah, GTA 3. It's going to be an interesting ride. I'm it's curious gonna, how this episode's it, going to play out. It's going to be super killer. And then after no, no that... No pun intended. Oh, or all pun intended. Yeah. Right, and then after that, we're gonna kick it back off with music with Hybrid Theory from Lincoln Park. Yes, we may have a very special guest for that. I think we will, so stay tuned. Uh, but for now, we've been bashing, bashing the beach at the beach. Not as much bashing as I thought. No, no. You know what? Let's get that in real fast. Fuck you, Hulk Hogan. I'm just gonna say that right out there. You did a lot for us, but you're also terrible. And we're gonna go into that in the future time. Listen, you guys be safe out there. We'll catch you next time, all right? I love you, Peru. I love you, New South Wales, Canada. You know what the fuck you did. (laughs) Later, gentlemen and ladies. Nothing good.